live stream. Um, let me see. Let me see where we are. Let's see. Here we go. Give me just a minute. And if anybody wants, any of you all want to share it, now's the time to share it also. Um, share. Uh, I have a quick uh, little story, and I always say every testimony doesn't have to be huge and miraculous, um, but but God um, show reminded me that He sees everything and cares even about the most simplest things in our life. Um, I was running errands with Mom this week, and I decided to I'll just surprise her and take her to lunch. She thought we were going to another destination or whatever, and then going home. But I took her to a favorite place because they have a sandwich that she likes and they make homemade custard. And all the things you're not supposed to eat, mm-hmm. but you know, at this mm-hmm. point, I tell her knock herself out. So <laughs> um, I, I, we get to the place and she orders, I order, and we eat and talk. We're having a good time. And that, and every you all know that I've been looking, you know, for a, a job for a while. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Money wasn't even a part of it, but I am on a budget. So uh, I told my, hey, I'm going to wash my hands. And um, what I was going to do is have a server bring her one of the the big uh, Sundays, you know, with her mm-hmm. favorite flavors and all that stuff. And um, I'm standing on the side, you know, I'm not in the line. I'm standing on the side trying to see the menu to, to so I know what, you know, flavors were available, whatever. And in front of me was an elderly lady. She was there to pick up a to-go, you know, a to-go uh, meal or whatever. And um, she said, oh, baby, you can get in front of me. I said, no, ma'am, that's all right. I'm just reading the menu. Thank you very much. And then I turned to walk away. And she said, wait a minute, honey. And I turned around, and she had some crumpled paper in her hand. And she said, let me give you this. And she stretched it out, and it was for a free Sunday. Uh, the very thing that I was going to surprise Mama with. You can't tell me nothing about God. That's right. Yes. That's right. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> you know, That's so and, beautiful. And, and he knew the intent was worth more than a little $8 Sunday. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so it was just, I was just, that's been my testimony all week. Yeah. Amen. Those, those, and that's so funny because I had a similar testimony at prayer service this week about the things that God surprises us with, the little favors and little thing, blessings that God surprises us with that we didn't, didn't even pray for. You know, we didn't even know he was going to bless us with. And so, yeah, that's wonderful. That's, that's a wonderful testimony. Thank you for that, Paula. All right, uh, we are on chapter 104 in volume one of Testimonies for the Church. And we are starting at, uh, actually, I'm going to back up. We're actually starting at uh, paragraph 599.1, but I'm going to back up to 598.2 just so that we can kind of get a little uh, context here um, and, and, and kind of um, understand where we're going uh, with this next paragraph. Um, because uh, we're kind of in the middle of this chapter. 
Uh, but let's pray first before we uh, get started. Um, dear, kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for another day, for bringing us through another week. We thank you for another Sabbath. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and study the spirit of prophecy, Lord. And I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, send us your Holy Spirit, that we might glean principles of truth from this word and we might know what manner of persons we ought to be and uh, what manner of, of, of Christian workers we need to be uh, so that we may receive the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And now as we study, help us to remember these things, Lord, and apply these principles to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay. So, um, uh, Sister White is talking about a dream that uh, someone had and related it to her. So it's not a dream that she had, uh, but they were going through a period of illness and discouragement. And um, so she's talking about a dream that someone else had. And uh, it was a dream that um, a uh, that uh, John Mason had. And she said that the dream strengthened her confidence that the Lord would lead them out and finish the work. And so we're going to go to start at 599.1 now. And it said that the, what did, what did she say about the dream? Uh, and I'm actually going to, if you go back to Let's see, the dream itself. Can anybody tell me what the dream was? Uh, that dream, she dreamed, uh, the person dreamed about some lamps that needed constant oil. And then basically um, the, the members or the people were out filling the lamps with oil. Uh, brother and Sister White were doing the most work and especially Sister White. And then some a group of people came by and threw soot on brother and sister White, and they they still continued to fill lamps, you know. And finally, the uh, the soot and stuff wore away, and brother and sister White came out as bright as ever as ever before the soot had even shown up. And that the people, the message was that the people that was filling the lamps were God's servants laboring for the harvest. And of course, I think we had read before that um, even though Brother and Sister White have been staunch supporters, uh, starters of the work and sacrificial involvement, that people were still talking evil against them and saying that they weren't this and they weren't that and spreading lies upon them. But the truth came out and the work continued on. Amen. Amen. There's a scripture that says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. Is that what it says? Says shall or will. Yeah, 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 sure does. Okay. And so what was the interpretation of that dream? That's in the next paragraph after the dream itself, uh, 598.1. You kind of touched on it, Lee, but mm -hmm. the people who, the, who were throwing the soot were moved by who? Satan. Right, right. And it says that um, the, the people of God were 
uh, in distress for a season, but they were delivered by what? The grace of God and their own earnest efforts. And then finally the power of God rested upon them and they acted a prominent part in the proclamation of the last message of mercy. So the last message of mercy is what? The three angels message, wouldn't you say? And so she goes on in 598.2 to say that this dream strengthened her confidence in the Lord and that the Lord would lead out in the finishing of the work. And, 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 and John Mason is the one that's relating this to her and, and saying that he's quite sure the Lord would lead them out and finish the work of restoration that has begun. And so- that, that was not only encouraging to them at that time, but it's also encouragement for us to know that the Lord is gonna bless our efforts because the work will be finished as he has already told us. We just need to get our courage together and do his will. And uh, uh, we like to watch this show called Lineage Journey on Hope Channel. And they mm -hmm. talk about the early pioneers and what they did to start the church and evangelize the world. And it's very interesting because like this dream was saying, they have found to be true that sister and brother White was really giving their whole lives for the church. And yet people would come out against them and talk about them and say that she wasn't a prophet and that he was a dirty dealer and, you know, just blackmailing them and blacklisting them and pushing their, putting their names down. But that God always has the ultimate uh, response and the ultimate ending for everything that after all the lies had faded away and been found to be untrue, that the work continued to move forward to success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, now this brother, Mason, what does she say about him? That's in the next, the paragraph that we said we were going to start with today. What does she say about him? Was he a trustworthy person? Did she feel like she could trust in this dream that he had? Or did she feel like, you know, he was unworthy to bear the name of? Yeah, she said he was not, she felt he was not worthy. But then, no, no she read like it again. Different person. Oh. She was talking about Brother F of Wisconsin. And she said that it, that person was un, unworthy to bear the name of Christ. Did she talk about Brother Mason? Yeah, it's in 599.1. Yeah, but it says that she says, oh, He's okay. In contrast with Brother F of Wisconsin. Okay. And she said that Brother humility and who, if he maintained his consecration, would be qualified to point souls to the Lamb of God. He had no knowledge of my child's mind, not a lie had ever passed between us in a dream coming when and from whom it did look to me like the hand of God reached forth to help me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And isn't that something when somebody, have you ever had somebody come up to you and just confirm something that you felt like the Holy Spirit told you? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, um, this is a, a brief testimony by the grace of God. As I had decided not to take a, a surgery for arthritis, but to use natural remedies, every, every step was by someone telling me something without me asking for information 
for example, I was just talking to a neighbor in general, and she pointed out a certain type of exercise that helped people to remain mobile and mobile and flexible. At that time, I had not even been given a, um, you know, a diagnosis for arthritis, you know, and then just little people around would say stuff that will help me to make um, decisions on what to do because I didn't have any clue about what to do and stuff. But I will say to you, um, today I have more days without pain than I have with pain. And I know that it's because God used other people and without them even knowing it, without them knowing that they were being used. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that something? Um, and um, okay. what Paula uh, was saying about how the Lord is interested. You know, when we are interested in doing what God wants us to do for example you know how awesome it is for a young a young woman to take her mom out to lunch to surprise her at her favorite spot giving her her favorite foods even though it's at a cost to herself that you know she may need this money for something else or whatever but without thinking about that just caring for another person I think that's the work of God right there you know others mm-hmm. might not think so but I think some people say, well, that's what you should do. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. This is what mm-hmm. God has to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then she goes on to talk about, and I believe she's talking about um, their home in the next paragraph and how their home needed some repairs and repair stuff done to it or building up of their home. And apparently they had taken out a loan to do this when she talked about um doing it with hard money and that caused them some perplexity because I guess they just wish they had the money to just do it outright she said but she said they kept up all their appointments and they labored extremely hard all through the hot weather which I guess they were doing it over the summer and she said for want of means they went into the field together meaning they did a lot of the work themselves they said hoeing and cutting and raking hay um, and on their land, she says, and she took the fork and built the stack while her husband with his feeble arms pitched the hay to her because they in the fields together. And then she said she took the brush and painted the inside of much of their house. And in these things, they both wearied, they, you know, they overexerted themselves. And so then finally, you know, she couldn't do anymore. So she was unable to, I guess, get up very, uh, for several mornings, she said. And so her husband had to go to some meetings without her. Um, and then she talked about an old carriage that they had and that the carriage was was just really, what, what was the condition of the carriage, anybody? Raggedy. <laughs> <laughs> it was really causing them. Yeah, it was really causing them in their feeble condition to get even worse and be even worse. You know, I don't think most people nowadays have ever ridden in one of those carriages that they used to ride back then. But at home, <clears throat> we would have Pioneer Day celebration where you could actually ride in an old covered wagon uh-huh. in a carriage like that. And uh-huh. let me tell you, it ain't no fun at all. You thinking they had uh-huh. fun? No, they didn't. There's no suspension. There's no cushioning. And the yeah. roads were often raggedy and had ruts in them. So yeah. I can see how she feels. Uh, she had to have a cushion. And I had read in another spot that she wanted to purchase a cushion for a chair 
And some of the church members was objecting. I think we had read that in class. Right. Some of the members objected, saying that's too much extravagant. Yeah. She's trying to get a cushion to sit on. Yeah. I think that was for her husband because he was just, he needed it. He was really sick at that point and he needed it just to be able to sit up. Yeah, it's a shame that here they are working so hard. She felt like it was just going to basically kill them doing the work. And people got the nerve to try and point fingers and say, that's too extravagant. You know, it's just sad. Right. Yeah. And so, um, but they, they, they used this carriage anyway, and she was encouraged to try to go ahead and try to make these appointments. And so she decided, you know, I'm going to go. And she said, if I, if I don't get any worse, I'm going to continue the journey. And so she kind of basically, she was kneeling so that I guess her knees could cushion the ride, you know, instead of just sitting, which is less cushion. And she was leaning on her husband on a pillow or, or something, I guess, on a cushion and uh, leaning on her husband. And uh, she said the next morning she felt a little better. So she decided to keep going. And then she said, God helped them to speak. And she said, a glorious work was done there. And then she said, if there she got a little got a little strength and then the lord helped her to speak when they went on and um so and and Karen, she, i'm sorry go ahead finish i was just gonna say as they worked god gave them strength isn't that isn't that the wonderful thing about god is if you just move out in faith god will give you what you need they that wait upon the lord She'll mm-hmm. mount up on eagle's wings. Now, I was going to point out that it says she rode 10 miles kneeling in that carriage on those raggedy roads with no suspension, hard wood underneath. And, you know, now we think, oh, 10 miles, that's like a six-minute drive. Now, when you went following a horse that can go four miles an hour, that's mm-hmm. two hours you're sitting in that, in that position. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but she gained strength as they went. God gave her the strength that she needed as they went. And so many a times when we're not feeling well enough to go do something, God, remember, God gives you the strength as you go, especially if it's work for him or something you're doing for him, you know, and, um, uh, then in the, in the next paragraph, she says that some of the brethren, uh, in their absence, some of the brethren decided them a carriage that, that would be more suitable for them in their frail conditions. And so they took them to go buy a, another carriage, which, uh, which was basically a lifesaver for them um, and, and was much more suitable for them on the roads and in the heat of the summer. And so it, was, it saved them a lot of the weariness of travel. And I really think that was a, a, an activity of Christian kindness for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, okay. Um, and then... Um, as we go on, the next thing they were talking about meetings in the West and attend the convocation of meetings in the West. And they apparently were really too sick to go. I mean, really too sick. And 
they were debating back and forth. We can't go, uh, but we really should go. And they would say that back and forth to each other. Well, we can't go. You're too faint. The, the journey's too long. Um, I can't take care of myself, much less take care of you. What if you faint? What if, you know what I'm saying? What if, what if, what if? And so it was tearfully that they were having these conversations back and forth because they both really wanted to go and they were choked up about it and all of that. And, and, and you know, they just were pondering, you know, we're just really too sick. Should we go? No, we can't go. We're too sick. Even with the new carriage, evidently, they were just too sick and too feeble to go. And, uh, but they said, well, we must go. And so then at that point, apparently some of the other brethren said, well, we'll go with you. We will help you. We will be there with you so that you're not alone. And that if you need anything, we're there to help you. Just, you won't be alone. You don't have to just depend on each other. We're there, we will help. And so at that point, they decided that they, that they would go and they would go to the West. And, and, and they said four teams followed them. So it wasn't just one team of people or one team, four teams followed them. And uh, with that, she said the journey was very comfortable and very pleasant with the company and the, those that came to help them. And she said the meeting was a victory. Do you feel, Karen, that some, um, maybe in this instance, that it was not just the physical comfort that was a problem, but at this point, it was also emotional and oh, sexual? Sure, it had to be. It had to be because it's one thing to think we're all alone out here. We have no help. We're barely able to take care of one another. It ha that has to be mentally and emotionally taxing, you know, mm -hmm. but just to know that if there's a problem and I can't help my spouse, there's somebody that can, you know, mm -hmm. there's somebody that can be here. And if we, and, and if we both fall, we're both faint. There's somebody that can come to our rescue, get us some water, get us some food so that we can be revived. You know what I'm saying? And not that, just that, but that the a person being there distracts right. you from your misery, you know, from yeah. how miserable this is. Right. Another, That's what I'm saying. It is emotionally mm -hmm. uplifting to know mm -hmm. there's help if you call. Mm -hmm. And that also that somebody cares, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, here you got these people complaining, and you know how people do it, you know. Uh, no, oh no, the Lord sent her. Now, the woman then levitated herself up to heaven and back. And I'm, just, I'm just kidding with that. But, you know, that no matter what you do, there's no way you can really convince a person who does not want to be convinced. But I just feel like um, that was just such a relief, you know, emotionally, that it was like, yeah, okay, cool. So, another, another thing I noticed, when they were talking about what happens if you get sick and, you know, this journey might kill us or whatever, you know, we thinking, oh, they're probably like in their 70s or 80s. No, they weren't. They were in their early 40s at this time. Mm -hmm. so about when you were in your 40s, and those of you, you who still are, just think about it because in your 40s, you felt pretty strong. You could do whatever, not worry about it. But when you get up in age, you know, you start feeling more like what they were feeling. And they had that senior feeling going on in their early 40s because of how much they had been working for the Lord's cause and how much they had sacrificed and the conditions back then and the fact that they didn't have a lot of money and they were constantly doing things on their own by their own personal willpower. 
you know, it's just amazing that God brought them through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And went on, you know, to live, I think, to about 85. So that was another 40 more years after this period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the next chapter, uh, she goes on to talk about meetings that they had um, at Monterey and then in Allegan County. And then she says they met a brother Lowborough there. Uh, and he had begun to feel the wrongs existing in Battle Creek. And he was mourning over his part and, and what he had to do with, in connection with those wrongs and how he had entered the cause and brought cruel burdens upon them. And so they had requested um, that he accompany them to Battle Creek. Um, but then he had a dream. What was his dream about? You can take a moment to look it over. But what was his dream about? <clears throat> Had to do with a train. Yeah, it's a pretty long dream. I hadn't had a chance to read it, like I said. But yes, yeah, a bunch of people traveling on a train and baggage would fall off and the train would rattle and shake and stuff. And some of the passengers had to get off and on to fix the track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was low, it was low, it was, the ceiling was low and the train was making very slow progress and the baggage kept falling off, hurling off. And, I don't know how it was doing that on a slow moving train, but the baggage kept <laughs> hurling off. The passengers kept being hurled off. And so they kept having to stop and reload the baggage and recoup the passengers. And it just, this just kept happening over and over. So the train was getting absolutely nowhere. And then they met up with brother and sister white and they said, well, <laughs> that's because you're going in the wrong direction. And so they were at this crank and they said, well, we just got to crank this train around. And so they start hand cranking this crank to get brother to turn the crank to, 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 to redirect uh, the train. And uh, they managed to get this train redirected. And then when the train got redirected, it was like, Ta-da! <laughs> and it was a whole new train. It was beautiful. It was spacious and airy. It was luxurious. It was uh, it was comfortable. Mm -hmm. People were on it. It was well ventilated. Mm -hmm. It was primmed and gilded. It was splendid. It was elegant. It was like a palace. It was like the track was level and smooth and firm. And the train was filling up with passengers and they, their countenances were cheerful and happy and they all wore an expression of assurance and solemnity and they, they just were happy with everything. They expressed satisfaction and the change that, was, that, that had come over them uh, was 
they, they had confidence and they were in the, the, the you know, their ride and the passage of the train. And this time, brother and sister White weren't off to the side. They were on the train. And it says while they were on board this time, their consciences were lit up with holy joy. And it says as the train was starting, the, the, the one having the dream was overjoyed. And they, they, but he awoke with the impression on his mind that the dream related to the church at Battle Creek and matters connected with the cause there. And so in his, in his mind, it was perfectly clear in regard to his duty to go to Battle Creek and lend a helping hand basically in the work there, basically in turning the train, helping them crank that crank to turn the train. And so that's what he did. To and, me, the whole dream is pointing out the difference between going your own route and going the route in the direction that God has planned for you to go. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make some headway, but when you get on the track that God set, that's when you're going to see a real change in everything associated with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's one thinking, too. Oh, go ahead. Uh, what'd you say? I'm thinking too the same way with me that um, on a, like at church, when it seems like there's a bunch of problems, maybe we need to really look at, uh, you know, like we're not making any grounds, we may, we're not making any headway, and maybe even going backwards a little bit. Maybe we need to take a look at what we're doing and see if this is what God wants us to be doing, not what we want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. And sometimes that can even be confusing because you'll confuse your desires with what you think God's desire is. Because it's right. hard for us to deny ourselves. And we would have, a person would have to just honestly and objectively take a look at the situation and say, is this really what God wants me to do? Or, or am I projecting my desires on what God wants me to do? And sometimes that's hard to figure out. It takes a lot of prayer and self-searching to do that. And mm. a lot of people just not willing to do it. Right, right. Now, sometimes... We may be walking in the path that God wants us to walk in, but he allows the devil to come in and put hindrances in the way just to test our faith. So it's not always that we're not walking in the path that God, of God's choosing, but he does sometimes allow those, those hindrances just to make sure that we truly are, uh, you know, um, persevering in the path that he wants us in and we won't give up and we won't turn back. Um, now then this brother Lowborough, I mean, brother, yeah, brother Lowborough had, he related another dream, a third dream. And she said that this was also an encouraging dream to him, to her, I'm sorry. And what was this dream about? This had to do with water in a fountain. So I'll start it off while you all are reading through it. Um, so 
he was in his native town and he was at the foot of a long side hill. And he said, oh, he said, if I could just find an all healing fountain. And then a, a, a beautiful, well-dressed young man came along and said very pleasantly, I'll take you to the spring. And this young man led the way. And he tried to follow and he went along the hillside, passing with much difficulty three wet boggy places. And there were small streams of muddy water flowing through there. And having gotten through those, he came to a nice well ground, hard ground. And then there was a, a jog in the bank and then a large spring of pure sparkling water was boiling up. And there was a large vat that was there, very much like uh, it says the plunge tub at the Hilton Creek. It says the pipe was running from the spring into one end of the vat and the water was overflowing at the other. The sun was shining brightly and the water sparkled in all its rays. And it says, as they approached the spring, the young man didn't say anything, but he looked toward uh, Brother Lowborough and smiled with satisfaction and then he waved one hand toward the spring as if to say don't you think that this is an all healing spring and then he said a lot of people were there with brother and sister white at their head and they came up to the spring on the opposite side from them and they all looked pleasant and cheerful and it says that uh, brother white seemed greatly improved in his health and he was cheerful and happy but looked tired as though he had been walking some distance and then what does he say after that? What was the dream after that? Yeah, he would plunk, dip into the pool and get drinks and he'd get stronger every time. Mm -hmm. And healthier and better every time. And uh, it says... Uh, he placed his hands on the side of the vat and plunged in three times. Time he came up. He was stronger than before. But he kept talking all the while and exhorting others to come and bathe in the fountain, as he then called it, and drink of its healing stream. And then it says that uh, his voice and that of, of Sister White was melodious. And he, uh, he just felt a spirit of rejoicing that he had found this spring. And he says, as Sister White was coming towards him with a cup of the water for him to drink. What happened? He woke up. He woke up. You ever had a dream before the best part happens, you wake up? <laughs> yeah. And before the worst part happened, you woke up too. So. That's, that's who. But right now, I'm talking about the, before the best part happens, you wake up. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, uh, so he woke up right before he got to drink of this healing stream. Oh, man, what do you think the healing stream represented? The word of God. Mm. Mm. Uh, remember the woman at the well? Mm -hmm. and, uh, Jesus, Jesus said, if you drink of, of the water that I have, you will never thirst again. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yes. And um, so he, <laughs> he came right up to that, that spring, that healing stream, and 
woke up before he took a drink of that that healing strain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he says that this spring was the the the, the well of everlasting life, and, and he says that in this next paragraph. Uh, but oh, we all want to drink of that healing stream, don't we? Yes. That. Um, let's see. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I think that's also, again, a similar dream to the other one, that pointing to them that brother and sister White are following the Lord's urging, because at that time in history, a lot of people didn't believe that Sister White was a true prophet, and they didn't believe. Brother White was uh, doing the Lord's work that he was self-serving. So the Lord was just affirming their, their ministry through these dreams and especially to these people who ended up being huge leaders in, in the church that, yes, these people are on my side, you know, listen to them and follow mm-hmm. them as they follow me. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting that a lot of the new, now a lot of the um, church founders like J.N. Loughborough, who we're just talking about, J.N. Andrews, all those people, some of them had doubts about whether Brother and Sister White were truly led by God. But mm-hmm. the Lord showed them through their actions and through dreams and visions and his word that, yeah, they're on my side and they're doing my work. Mm-hmm. So once yeah, they're so- on the train, that's when the movement really started working. Right. They found the right path. They have found the right, they have found the location of the stream, <laughs> you know? Yeah, once they turned that train around, then mm-hmm. it really picked up speed and was large and luxurious enough for everybody. Right, right. Um, let's see, then they talked about um, attending meetings, uh, where the Western meetings, large Western meetings, uh, and it talks about the victories that they achieved there. Uh, meetings in Wisconsin. Uh, t- she says she was quite feeble there. And she had labored far beyond her strength at Battle Creek and had nearly fainted in the cars on the journey. And then she said she had four weeks suffered much with her lungs. And it was with difficulty that she spoke to the people. And she says Sabbath evening was, uh, she said, uh, I guess some kind of a fomentation, which I guess it's some sort of a... Uh, uh, um, what I want to say, a um, medicinal pack was applied to her. Medicinal pack was applied to her over her throat and her lungs. But she said her, her, her she forgot her head cap. And she said at that point, um, whatever was in her lungs went to her head and she woke up sick and in her brain the next morning and voices she was hearing voices and everything was vibrating well well the voices seemed to vibrate in her head and everything was swinging swirling around and she said as she walked she reeled and was unsteady on her feet evidently and when she took breakfast that didn't revive her and so she said she just was sick couldn't even sit up and she said her husband came to the house after one of the meetings, the meetings, and um, that he had made an appointment for her to speak in the afternoon. She said she couldn't even stand up. And um, so she said her husband asked her what she was gonna speak about. She said she couldn't even put together a sentence at that point. 
And she was like, um, but she thought, well, if God wants me to speak, he'll strengthen her. And she'll go by faith. And she said, all I can do is fail. She said, so she staggered to the tent. <laughs> and her brain was all confused. And uh, she couldn't even think straight. But she told uh, the, the uh, brethren there that if they would sustain her by their prayers, she would speak. And so she stood up in faith. In about five minutes, she said her head and her lungs were relieved. And she said, without difficulty, she spoke for more than an hour. That goes back to, you know, if the Lord, I mean, if we will just move forward in faith, especially when we're doing something for the Lord, that he will strengthen us to do it. Whatever it is, he will strengthen us to do it. And so instead of languishing on our bed and saying, oh, poor me, oh me, I can't do this. Even though I said I would try, even though I said I would, poor me. If we will just get up and do it and move out in faith, the Lord will strengthen us to do it. Karen, that would be, if a person is sick or something like that, but like you say, push forward, that would be one thing. What I see happening is that people don't even try. It's not because they sit, they're not even pushing anything. That no try, no effort, no nothing mm -hmm. is what I, I look at and see. So, you know, it would be nice if if people actually had a reason, but they push beyond that reason. But people have no reason and don't push beyond anything. You know, this uh, that love. <clears throat> that little um, paragraph reminded me of how it used to be with Pastor Polite. He would barely be able to move or walk mm -hmm. or get out of bed, mm -hmm. but by God's grace, he would get out and he would preach and do a great job. You wouldn't even know he wasn't feeling good. And mm -hmm. then afterward, he'd have to go, <laughs> go back and lay down. But, you know, if you ask God, like Lakita's saying, if you ask God to bless you, to give you strength to do something, he may just give you that strength to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that, uh, again, if you read about what the pioneers went through, man, it puts us to, nowadays to shame. That the, And these were young people. The things that they were doing, the sacrifices they were making, the efforts they were putting forth, those were actions of mature Christians. But these were young people. And mm -hmm. they were putting their houses and their lives and their livelihood on, on the at stake for the Lord's work, you know, and it just, when you think about all that they were willing to do and sacrifice for God's work, mm -hmm. wow, it just makes you wonder, you know, what more can I do to press mm -hmm. forward in the Lord's work? Right, right, right. Uh, and so she just, she kept pressing forward and she said that uh, as she worked, she just started feeling better and better. And she she realized and a feeling came over her of the goodness of God and the blessing that God gave her and sustaining her while she was speaking. And so she just said that she had been improving in health and she just stepped out in faith and just went ahead anyhow. Um, and then I remember, I remember there was a period of time in the past years ago when I used to have 
I used to get headaches every Sabbath, every Sabbath. I didn't have them during the week. I would get them every Sabbath. And I just hated that. And I was like, Lord, I want to be at church. I want to be at church without a headache. So Lord, please take these headaches away. You know, I said, I'm going to keep, I'm going to go to church, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I want to be at church. And I just started praying that prayer. And the Lord took those headaches away on the Sabbath. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then she talks about, because they were constantly slandered and talked about and, and just, just really badly. Um, and then there was a report that they were wanting for money. They were hurting for money which is kind of crazy because there was also a report that they were just, they were wealthy and uh, greedy. So it's like, okay, you can't have it both ways. They're either wanting and hurting for money or they're wealthy. But anyway, um, apparently as they were going to move, um, they came across some old bottles and the, and the husband said, well, what should I do with these bottles? And she said, just throw them away. Well, her one of her young sons said, well, what if I can if I clean them and then can I sell them? And she said, well, yeah, if you want to do that, if you clean them and you sell them, you can just keep the money for yourself. Well, the, the elder white said to his son one day when he was going into town, he said, okay, uh, you can come and go with me. And if you can sell the bottles, you know, while we're in town, then that's great. Well, apparently he took somebody else with him uh, to ride in their carriage with him to town. And the son Apparently, he went to a, 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 a drugstore and was going to sell the bottles to the, the man at the drugstore. And he came back out and asked his father, what do you think I should sell this one for? How much do you think I should sell this one for? Well, the man in the carriage got the wrong impression. He didn't ask any questions about it. He just put out a story that, that Elder White was selling old bottles because he was so hard up for money or so greedy for money, either way. And they didn't hear about it till, I think they said maybe five months later, uh, Brother and Sister White didn't hear about that story that this man had put out until five months later. And so, um, you know, there, there are things that were, that were kept from them that were being said about them that they could have corrected at the time they were being said, but they weren't told to them. And so um, they, they, you know, could have met those false reports and could have, you know, addressed all of that. But, you know, all that spread before they could even hear anything about it and hear my husband, you know, the, and, so, and so other people cherish these feelings of censure and bitterness and cruelty against them about things that weren't even true about them. You know, her husband was feeble, says he was struggling for, they were struggling for their life with various illnesses. And then they have these people with these wicked crushing spirits representing, I guess, okay, at this point, he was representing him as wealthy, but yet he was grasping for money. So it says that when they returned to Battle Creek, her husband called for a council of the brethren to meet with them at church, that they might investigate the matters. And I guess the matters that they were wealthy and so they they evidently um, call for uh, someone to do an accounting of their 
of their, um, I guess their their net worth or whatever. And when they did that, they found that that they were only worth fifteen hundred dollars aside from their horses and their carriage, and that 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 they have been giving so much of what they had to the cause and to the Review and Herald, the publishing cause, and to the church that they really didn't have much at all. And so they felt kind of vindicated in that, you know, because they they didn't keep an account of it, but they had been giving away their sustenance, sustenance to the church and to the publishing. And uh, so at that point, all of that was squashed, all of that, their wealthy, the grasping for, you know, pennies was squashed. Um, and all those rumors and all that stuff that had been, that had been said and started against them was squashed. Um, and apparently, you know, some of that ill feeling was, 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 um, what do I want to say? Was put away. And that ill feeling that people had towards them was put away. Any comments on that? Um, okay, uh, let's move on. Okay, uh, down at paragraph 608.3, she talks about um, ending up this particular chapter. And she says that we are living in a most solemn time. And she said in the last vision given her, she was shown the startling fact that but a small portion of those who now profess the truth will be sanctified by it and saved. She said, many will get above the simplicity of the work and they will conform to the world. They will cherish idols and become spiritually dead. She said, the humble self-sacrificing followers of Jesus will pass on to perfection, leaving behind the indifferent and lovers of the world. And um, she said that um, she talked about the children of Israel and how only two of the adults of that vast army that left Egypt, which included, I think, what was it, five million? And I think that was just the men or something like that, and not the women and children. Um, only two entered, only two of the original adults entered the promised land. And that all the other ones, their dead bodies were strewn in the wilderness because of their transgressions. And she said that um, many idols are worshipped even by professed Sabbath keepers. And God especially charged his ancient people to guard against idolatry. And she says, for if they should be led away by serving from serving the living God, his curse would rest upon them. While if they should love him with all of their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, he would abundantly bless them in basket and in store and would remove sickness from the midst of them. You know, I was thinking about the fact there's a lot of sickness going around in our church right now. Um, we're continually hearing about someone that's sick in our church or someone that uh, is back in the hospital in our church. And, you know, uh, this right here tells us if we would love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, he would remove sickness from the midst of us. Any comments on that? 
Yeah, I think there's that is true. You know, God's word is always true. I think we don't want to lump everybody that has a cold into being cursed by God, though. No, no, no. No, I'm just saying that because I think at some point it becomes a corporate thing. I think at some point it becomes a corporate thing and that if we as God's people would begin to turn and to uh, uh, put away our idols and um, love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength that, uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, colds and things like that, but some of these things, these major illnesses and these really life-threatening things that are happening to some of our, our, our uh, some of us, you know, that, that, that God will remove this stuff from our midst. And um, so that's more of what I'm talking about, Lee. Yeah, I believe God does, that there are like Deuteronomy 28 gives you blessings for following God and the curses for not following him. So it's very true. A lot of things are for that reason. I'd like to say something. I'm going to take us back a little bit. And my brain is short circuited right now. So, uh, Sister White, let's see, what was I doing? Oh, it was talking about how the people was like saying that they were wealthy and stuff. And I can see how God withholds some blessings from us, um, not for our sake, but for others, so that. Like in that case, you know, you can see God, not because they were sinners or they were misusing money or anything, but for the people's sake, so that the people wouldn't feel like they were being mistaken advantage of and the church was being used by the whites because they got a big house and big fat car and blah, blah, blah. You know, it may, the white sister and brother whites may have handled money very well, even if they had gotten a lot of money, they may have been given, you know, given it away. But in this way, they could stand before the church members and clearly say, listen, this is what we've done. This is, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to answer not one of these here um, com complaints or slanderous things. They didn't have to say anything. You know, they were right with God. Mm -hmm. But, and, I, and God could have blessed them above all that they could think or ask, but he mm -hmm. chose, you know, he chose not to. I think some of it was for the people so that they can be assured, those who are going to be assured that these were sincere people who really loved the Lord and, and gave their all. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was looking at uh, paragraph 607.3, and it kind of sums up the, the, the white's life in a very interesting way. It says, our property, this is on 607.3. Mm -hmm. It says, our property may go and we will still rejoice in God if it is used for the advancement of his cause. And then mm -hmm. at the bottom it says, let us enjoy the character and influence we have dearly earned during the past 20 years with even poverty and a slight hold on health in this mortal life. And we'll rejoice and cheerfully give to the cause the little there is left of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like them in a nutshell. <laughs> they were doing everything to the glory of God yeah, up into their health their finances, their lifestyles. They did everything that God asked them to do and more. And, and it just reminds you that 
when you are serving God, there's no guarantee, like Lakita's saying, you're going to live in a big house, drive the fanciest car, and have tons of money in the bank. And you can even go back to the prophets and the apostles all died uh, fatal deaths, you know, in different ways. John the Baptist, you know, he, Lakita always says he had to be really wondering what was going on. You know, here I am preaching about the coming savior and now I'm in jail about to be killed. So there's a lot of people who are doing God's will and his work. And he's promised, I think you had said somewhere, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And it's just an example that you can't really look at a person's lifestyle and determine whether God loves them or, or not. I know there's a lot of churches, the prosperity churches that they call them, that say, unless you got a lot of money in a big house, God don't really love you and you're not being blessed. That's nowhere near the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. Salvation don't have anything to do with materialism. It's right. all about connection with God and acceptance of Jesus as our savior. So I was just saying that their lifestyle, and again, if you read books on the early pioneers and, and look at the lineage journey documentaries, they let you know that these people were serious about doing God's will. Uh, another thing too, um, there's a long time ago, we used to hear, um, Lord, let there be a revival and that it begins with, with me. And I think what you're saying, Karen, about, um, you know, uh, God would remove these illnesses from us. I do think that that means that we need to be having a revival that focuses on our behavior corporately and independently that may bringing mm -hmm. about, um, be bringing about problems that we are having. And so I think that that, is, that would be a worthy thing and that people must be honest and come to the Lord clean. Um, and I'm, you don't have to do that to other people, telling everybody else, but yourself, you know, like, what am I doing in, you know, in my, just for me, example, in my business practices, you know, as a wife to my husband, as a grandparent, as a church member, you know, in all of these capacities, am I fulfilling the roles that God wants me to fulfill? And am I adding to stuff and doing stuff that he does not want me to be doing? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You know, so in all areas of our lives, there needs to, what did, what did Paul say, try me, oh Lord? You know, I can't remember it. Mm -hmm. But basically, I in my mind is, <coughs> basically show me what I'm made of, you know, search my heart so mm -hmm. that I will not sin against you. We need to know what we are. And the Bible says with um, the heart is, uh, deceitful and wicked above all things and who can know it but God and so I think sometimes we just don't realize as you said that we ourselves are bringing upon ourselves some of the problems that's in our midst you mm -hmm. know about unfaithfulness in so many areas of our lives mm -hmm. yep yep I think you are absolutely right about that that's why we need to do a self-examination and in the, in the corporate examination as a as a church, you know, mm -hmm. as a church come together mm -hmm. and start, you know, thinking, what am I contributing to the growth or lack of growth in our midst? Mm -hmm. And not 
just, you know, and not placate ourselves with stuff that, you know, is not real. Nothing, if we don't look at ourselves honestly, nothing's mm-hmm. going to change. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to be, I personally don't have to be at the brink of destruction before I want to initiate some type of examination to figure, we should be doing that regularly to figure out what's not right in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, any other comments, anybody else before we close out today's session? All right, then uh, Lee, where are we next week? Uh, next week, we're in the book Christian Service by Ellen White. We're on chapter four. We're beginning chapter four. And it says, world conditions facing the Christian worker. Chapter four, world conditions facing the Christian worker. Okay. Um, okay. Patsy, was that you that joined us? No, those Good. are both Paula. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I texted her. I couldn't get her. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, Lee, can you close us out with prayer? Sure. Dear Lord, we thank you for a beautiful and enjoyable time with our discipleship class. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence and influence. We ask and pray that you continue to lead us, guide us into more truth. Lord, help us to know how we can more better serve you, how we can come to a closer relationship with you and how we can better exemplify Christ in our lives as well as our outreach efforts. In his blessed name, we thank you. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, we will see you next week for our discipleship class at 2.30 with Elder Lee Carroll teaching chapter four of um, Christian service. Amen.